Hey there, I'm Andrew Ainsworth, a proud supporter of Sword and Laser, thanks to Patreon.com. It's easy to set up, and what do you get out of it? Endless geeky bantering about the latest sci-fi and fantasy books. So if you want to help out, head over to Patreon.com slash Sword and Laser. Give a little, and get a lot of Veronica mispronouncing things. Welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. You know what, Veronica? Yes? Sometimes people say the what are we drinking segment makes them feel, I don't know, a little odd, like we're making them drink. So this week, we decided after a lot of consideration Mm -hmm. to just not drink anything. I definitely did not have a glass of wine earlier. <laughs> uh, no, we both, uh, neither one of us have drink to probably talk about poor, poor planning more than anything, but, <laughs> but all that, you know, all joking aside, uh, don't feel like you have to drink alcohol. And if you're very, very sated, don't feel like you have to drink anything. You, it can, this can be, what burrito are you eating? Oh, Oh, you just opened up a whole new vista to our show. I mean, who who am I to say what you should be putting in your mouth? What are we consuming? Yeah. Could be a book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's rather hard to eat a burrito while doing a podcast, I must it admit. It probably would set off the people with misphonia, yeah. Uh, yes, yeah. So I chew loudly, apparently. Yeah, that's almost the name of my dog's script that he's working on. Sawyer's writing a movie called Chew Hard. Chew Loudly, apparently. (laughs) Chew Loudly, apparently. (laughs) A love story. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, yeah, do whatever you want. It's it's just supposed to be about being together, doing something, having a shared experience. It's about reading science fiction and fantasy books. Anything else is just for kicks. I mean, originally it was like Sword and Laser is a pub that you go to and you have a pint and whatever. You know what? It can be a pub that serves food. Yeah. There could be shepherd's pie involved, mm-hmm. bangers and mash, pizza. Little tiny hand-sized quesadilla bites that you can Ooh. that you eat out of one of those like hot taquitos. pans. A taquito. Yeah. Por qué no? Por qué no? It is delicioso. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, so that's that. That's all we have to say about that. Good intro, everybody. Let's jump into the quick burns. Allison pointed out that HBO has optioned Nettie Okorafor's world fantasy award-winning novel, Who Fears Death, to be a TV series with none other than George R.R. Martin attached as executive producer. And of course, poor George R.R. Martin, when he goes to the bathroom, people are like, why are you in the bathroom instead of writing Song of Ice and Fire? Had to explain that being an executive producer doesn't mean he's running the show. And in fact, this is more of an advisory role to help Nettie out whenever she needs help. He's been a mentor to her. She has explained that. Anyway, the novel is about a woman with magical abilities living in post-apocalyptic Sudan where light-skinned Nuru oppress darker-skinned Okeke people. Yeah, did you see all the drama around this? Yes. It was so lame. Yeah, so a lot of publications posted the uh, the cover art for this novel along with a picture of George R. R. Martin and cropped out Nettie's name. Yes, I know. 
And I mean, George R. R. Martin tweeted it and he put the full cover on and was like, she's amazing. This is who is who wrote this book. This is what the show is based on and totally like backed her up. But like the fact that we still have to deal with this shit is like unbelievable to me. It is typical for media in the entertainment industry to pull out the most recognizable name and slap it on something. Uh, and that is very unfortunate, especially if you like us know who Nettie Okorafor is and how talented she is. I know. It's just like, can people just try to be a little more aware of the fact that it's a good thing to to bring more attention to not only women, but women of color who are working in this space and having well, success? That's, that's just an added dimension to it, right? My guess is the media outlets who did that, they just didn't know who that was. They're like, I don't know, some author. Right. That 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 used to be always the case. The author of the book that the movie was based on. Forget it. You never saw them mentioned. And so then it then it just adds insult to injury that it ends up being a woman of color on top of of everything else. So, I mean, when you guys when you see somebody say, hey, it's the new George Clooney movie, if he's not directing, (laughs) they're leaving somebody out. There's other people involved producing, et cetera. That's very level headed of you, Tom. I'm going to continue my outrage. Oh, I'm sorry. Was I getting in the way of your outrage? You're getting in the way of my outrage. I apologize. I didn't mean my my white privilege to crush your outrage. If she's upset, I'm upset. If she's upset, (laughs) she she has every right to be upset. Absolutely. I'm not not taking away from that. Okay. Moving on. Silvana says, so according to EW, these are the 27 female authors who rule sci-fi and fantasy. Silvana says, "I, I can't even... Who are half of these people? Who the, who the heck is Rainbow Rowell? Apparently, I was not aware of the genre rulers. And Melanie added, seems more like a list of 27 books, not authors. Rainbow Rowell is a pretty famous realistic YA author who wrote one fantasy book as a spinoff of one of her normal books. She does not belong in this list. Now, hmm. I don't know if she does or doesn't belong in the I'm list. I'm not going to make a claim like that. Yeah. Entertainment Weekly is doing a version of what we were just talking about, <laughs> where they're grabbing a bunch of recent books and then making a listicle that people will click on without actually digging too deep into what's going on here. Now, granted, somebody wrote up little blurbs for each one of these books. So somebody actually did a little bit of research. I want to give them credit for that. And there's some great books in here. You've got Anne Leckie in here. You have Nettie Akorafor is in here. Nettie Akorafor <laughs> is recognized in here. Charlie Jane Anders is recognized. So there's a bunch of books in here that you will recognize. But yeah, I didn't know all of them either. And that's fine. That's how you discover cool new stuff. I have to say, I, I so far I've been scrolling through and I do know most of them. Yeah, I so, probably knew two thirds of them. And I, I actually guess. have a copy of uh, Infomocracy mm. right on my floor right now from Malka Older, I believe. Yeah, Cameron Hurley is a Hugo Award winner, and she's awesome. So and yeah, I guess, there's, I guess what they're good... saying is these are these are the great authors, and these are their most yeah, N.K. Jemison's in there. These are their most recent books, or it's just like these are great authors who are hot right now. You know, that's it says right now. So these are on yeah. the charts and lucky is on here. There's some recognizable names for Every sure. Every one of these is their most recent book, though, like Lauren Book's Broken Monsters. Yeah. It, you know, all of these. So that's why that's why they're just showing the books, because mm-hmm. they're showing their most recent ones. I think this is actually cool. I'll give EW a little props for this. 
horrible, horrible user interface. Oh, geez. It's impossible to use this list. This list makes me want to hurt things. EW.com is not alone in that, so I'm not going to single them out but come on give us something worth reading it's like when you're I mean, when you're like basically eating hand to mouth for page views like i understand the impetus to have a listicle that is a carousel where each carousel is a new page that you get a click for but man that is bad bad ui it's i understand the temptation too cnet went through it many times while we were both working there and every time <laughs> yes. they did it didn't work It drives people away in the long run. It gives you this nice boost at first and everybody gets Mm -hmm. real happy. And then all of a sudden decline, 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 decline. And everybody's like, hey, why Why are these things not working like they used to? What happened? Yeah. Hey, Steven posted that Tor.com reviewers have created a best of 2017 so far. It's it's the summer list movement, I think, is what (laughs) what we're seeing. All the stuff people wrote before they went on vacation. Uh, But best books of 2017 so far is from their contributors. So each one of their contributors picked one. For instance, Niall Alexander picked New York 2140 by Kim Stanley Robinson. Liz Bork recommended Aliette de Bedard's The House of Binding Thorns. Uh, and there are lots of books recommended here that I was not aware of No, either. And in fact, only, only the very first one, only the one by Kim Stanley Robinson, uh, 2140, um, is the only one I recognize. So and Andrew, by the way, in our book club, in our in-person book club for Sword and Laser, says amazing things about this book. He loves it. So I want to check that one out. Which one? New York 2140? Yeah. Nice. They A lot of these look good. Waking Gods by Sylvain Nouvelle. Windsinger by A.F.E. Smith. The Sacred Era by Yoshio Aramaki. There's some really, really cool stuff in here. Yeah. Well, Stephen, I'm not sure if it's the same Stephen because we just wrote Stephen, says also... Want to lend a hand transcribing magical manuscripts and rent a fissure into the underworld? It's all possible. Tell me how. This is not fiction. Uh, there is the, a, uh, a, 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 a project underway, part of the Newberry Library of Chicago's multidisciplinary project, Religious Change 1450 to 1700, where people are being asked to transcribe rare manuscripts online manuscripts will be featured in a september 2017 exhibition alongside more than 150 items including bibles poems maps music and art among the books that you anybody you don't even have to to register anybody can jump in and start helping to transcribe are books like (laughs) the book of magical charms and (laughs) cases of conscience concerning witchcraft yes yes (laughs) <laughs> that sounds so fun. So they uh, at atlasobscura.com, they talked with a couple of the people who have been doing this and some of the charms that they have been transcribing, uh, which is which is crazy. There was there was one. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, uncovered instructions to complete a conjuring. <gasps> the manuscripts hold odd insights and secrets. The book of magical charms, for example, outlines occult arts that describe caring for toothaches, cheating at dice, and speaking with spirits. <laughs> cheating at dice? <laughs> <laughs> I love this so much. <laughs> this is like the perfect beginning to some kind of like Lovecraftian 
like side story of some kind for sure, right? Like this right. is this is like the perfect beginning of some kind of story collection. It was just instructions for a conjuring. All I needed was to be under a crescent moon with some incense, a sword, and holy water. Literally, that's one of the transcriptions, by the way. I didn't make that part up just now. <laughs> and you know, I just so happened to be on my break, you know, over at the at the old bookstore when I decided to take my lunch outside and and transcribe this conjuring. Little did I know that as I sat underneath the willow tree, the layout of my lunch utensils perfectly mapped the knife, to the knife in your lunch counted as a sword. As, as yeah, as a what do, what do they call them? Like a scythe, or like yeah. A, a like yeah, something whatever. A uh, priest uh, or dagger. Yeah. Uh, a priest accident was held your lunchbox for a second on the bus, turning <laughs> turning your 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 coke into holy water. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's fun. This is actually, I think we got to make it of a nice little short story there. Actually, I, I'm picturing exactly this. It, it almost feels like a, a story out of like the Iron Druid Chronicles where like Atticus is like out having lunch and he accidentally does yeah. like a binding of some kind without meaning to and opens up like and like Bast shows up from the underworld or like the Egyptian whatever. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going I, with it because I'm reading the new Kevin Hearn. <laughs> when I, well, there you go. It's, it's in your head. Yeah. I was reading this and uh, and I was thinking of Buffy the Vampire Slayer the whole time because they have all those books everywhere mm. uh, throughout that series. I don't know that because I've never watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, here comes the chorus of people mad at me. You know, you can't be mad at uh, anyone for not watching something these days. And Veronica was very young when it was new. I was. I thought it was too scary. Did you really? Have I told wow. this story before? Yeah, I, I thought it was too have. scary. That's Cause on vampires. Because vampires, and I didn't know if there were jump scares. And I mean, you could watch it now. It's not too scary for you now. But there are so many things to watch. The new season of iZombie's out. I'm watching that right now. You're watching that? Wow. I love iZombie. All right. It's I'm like watching my... Orphan Black. I think oh. Orphan Black's amazing. Is that too scary for me? And, and Game of Thrones, have you have you heard of that? Oh yeah, that Game of Thrones is week. back. Hey, remember when Game of Thrones premiered and we were like, we should do like a Game of Thrones podcast, and we didn't because mm. we were too lazy or too busy, and that mm-hmm. probably would have been pretty popular. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, but okay. boars, gores, and swords over at Boing Boing is still kicking. If going you strong, Game of Thrones podcast, totally. Go check it out. Speaking of swords, it is now time for Barrier Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. We got an email from Joel that at first I was very confused about because I thought he was telling me things about Kansas University. (laughs) (laughs) And then I realized he means Kindle Unlimited. Uh, So we were we were. We just couldn't remember the whole deal with Kindle Unlimited. Turns out what I was thinking of was Kindle Lending Library. Oh. This is on you, Amazon, for having too many of these too things. Too many things. Kindle Lending Library comes with Amazon Prime. It lets you borrow one book a month from a list of books. You don't, can't borrow every book. Uh, and and that's what I was thinking of. But thankfully, uh, Joel wrote in and said, here's a few things about Kindle Unlimited. It's pay service, $10 a month, lets you read as many Kindle Unlimited titles as you can consume. You can have up to 10 books in your library at a time. The audio portion still costs full price. Each Kindle Unlimited author gets a pittance per page read. So it, it's oh, like Spotify mm-hmm. where, you know, if Song. everybody were in Kindle Unlimited, the authors would be doing pretty well. But until it gets scale, it feels like they're getting paid nothing. 
nothing because it's such a small percentage. Uh, there are a lot of books that would never get wide distribution, some deservedly so. If you don't read several books a month, the $10 probably isn't worth it, but I read 10 to 20 books what? a month, Jill says, and what? have a constantly full backlog and have not purchased a full-price book in months. At 3 to $5 a book, I'm spending 10 bucks to consume 30 to $100 worth of media. Uh, there are, however, nuggets of gold among the dross, and my favorite is Glenn Stewart. He has three series and two standalone books, all of which are as good or better than traditionally published works. One series in particular that I I recommend a sword and laser is Starship Mage, a political action romp set in a universe where space travel is possible because of magic. Oh. It is epic fantasy political space opera at its finest. <laughs> there are, of course, other good authors and books, but a lot of them are mental floss and not like the highfalutin books you guys generally pick. Oh, you know, I, I I should really cancel my subscription because I have not read a single Kindle Unlimited pick. I had I got like three months free or something, and there was a book I wanted to read, and I didn't ever read it, and so now I'm just paying $10 a month, and I'm just throwing money away, so I should just cancel it. That was a good primer, though. Thank you, Joel. That made a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah, no, he did a great breakdown of mm-hmm. that. Um, I wanted to look. I'm, I'm, I'm getting into my Kindle Direct account because I think one of the problems with Kindle Direct from the author side of things is that you can't well they changed the interface of course mm-hmm. uh enroll in kdp select enroll in matchbook unplug it. Actually, you're looking think, at this is like your author interface yeah interesting i'm trying to see i feel like there was a thing where if i wanted to put my book into kindle unlimited i would have to give up some kind of or have to give them some kind of exclusivity or something but that may just be the promotional stuff oh oh interesting yeah, I'm. I wonder. Do you think you would? Do you think it would do well? I, it'd be an interesting experiment. I wonder. Because I have no problem putting any of my books into Kindle Unlimited. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's if it doesn't take any of my rights away, that's fine. The the more people who get a chance to read, the better. I don't mind at all because it's probably going to be people like Joel who might not have bothered reading it otherwise. But I don't. I don't see the. Uh, I'm like digging around trying to figure out how to cancel Kindle Unlimited, and I should just not do that right now. That's not a good idea. Oh, I found Kindle books. Yeah. Right. Well, here's another. Uh, I own the copyright. Yes, I do own the copyright. Uh, categories, age range, pre-order. Yeah, I don't know. Is this t- um, this is too inside baseball? It doesn't look like that's a problem, but I also can't find the place where you can check mark a book to be in the Kindle lending library. So that's interesting. Well, we were talking about um, what is the drink that they have at, at the Universal? Butter beer. Butter beer. Okay. So J.F. Dubow wrote back again to clarify what he was talking about in the tweet from the last episode. He says, Scotch butterscotch is just butterscotch. Butterscotch is essentially caramelized scotch, sugar, and cream. So then why call it something else? Just call it butterscotch, man. I don't understand. Do you mean why call it butterbeer? He was like, it was just, he, he said something about scotch butterscotch last time. And I'm like, that sounds redundant. If it's, if butterscotch has scotch in it, just call it butterscotch. But it doesn't have, uh, it, it doesn't, it's, wait, call what understand. butterscotch? He says scotch butterscotch is just butterscotch. Because I think he said butterbeer was just scotch butterscotch. Yes. So we were saying, should we mix scotch with the butterscotch beer? And then he's, and he's essentially saying, saying that would just be mix, mix, mixing butterscotch with butterscotch. You'd just be adding more scotch to your butterscotch and also wasting good scotch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I put that last part in. Okay. <laughs> yeah, don't use, yeah. 
don't don't waste your good scotch. I love butterscotch though. Butterscotch is one of my favorite sweets. Like butterscotch pudding is my favorite. Butterscotch ice cream, love it. Butterscotch anything, I'm obsessed with. Well, then you should you should like butter beer. It's just butterscotch soda. Is it too sweet? I mean, that's a stupid question. I just said I like butterscotch pudding. It's pretty sweet. I'm not yeah. going to lie. Okay. Okay. So it's not a good idea to make it mm, alcoholic by adding scotch. Now I'm just disappointed. You're still looking at the Kindle stuff, aren't you? I can I see am. it on your when face. You I can see in it. KDP oh Select. My God. <laughs> I'm trying KD- to talk about butterscotch over here. <laughs> yeah. Books enrolled in KDP Select must not be available in digital format on any other platform during their enrollment. Oh. Yeah, you don't like that. Yeah. And so to get into Kindle Unlimited, I would have to make my book exclusive to Amazon because I'm not a big publisher. Okay. There you have it. Don't do Ooh. it. Bad idea. EPJ writes at EPJ writes says writes. I am writes. I am binge listening to all of Sword and Laser. This podcast makes me feel better about being me. Hashtag yay nerds. Hashtag thank you. And I just oh, wanted to that made amazing. me feel so good. Yay. You made us feel better about being us too. <laughs> <laughs> and basically wasting your time babbling on about Kindle Unlimited and butterscotch for the last 15 minutes. <laughs> Let's talk like, about bear romance. Okay. Tomahome wrote on Twitter, that looks more like a bear romance novel cover. That is, of course, being the album art for last time's episode. Oh, and, and we didn't follow up from last episode. Veronica did not get eaten by a bear. Well not, done. I was not eaten by a bear. We did have a mountain lion encounter, however. Mm. Was not a, eaten by a mountain lion. A mountain lion intervention? Just an encounter. Just <laughs> a mountain the, lion crossing. It makes me in think of, of encounter groups in, in, in uh, Christian youth groups where you would intervene with people. Do you encounter God? Yeah, exactly. So did you talk to the mountain lion about their religion? <laughs> No. Um, but anyway, it was it was it was a great trip. Didn't even see any bears. Well, that's disappointing. I was a little disappointed. A little disappointed. Uh, and then Joel J. Adamson, or as Veronica likes to call him, Joel J, son of Adam. <laughs> wrote uh, I wrote Lee- that in the show notes, by the way. That was I did that. Joel J. Adamson wrote, LibriVox has tons of public domain sci-fi and fantasy read by great narrators, great stuff. So you can find them on Twitter at LibriVox, L-I-B-R-I-V-O-X. Yeah, and they wrote back actually and linked to um, a list of a bunch of genre stuff. So that was pretty cool. So if you want some some free domain type of audiobook stuff, public domain stuff, seems like a really good selection. Yeah, and you can also go to LibraVox.org. You don't only have to go to Twitter to find them. You can go straight to the source. Yeah. All right. Well, now we are going to talk a little bit non-spoilery, I believe, about Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula K. Le Guin, which is uh, this month, July's book pick. Um, I have. I mean, are we going to talk non-spoilery? Because we've already kicked it off. That's the only time oh, we right. promise to be totally non-spoilery, but we're not wrapping it up either. So mild spoilers. Let's put it that way. We're not going to wrap up the book, but we may talk. It's kind of hard to talk about it if you don't talk about things that happened in it. I guess you're right. (laughs) I guess you're right. Um, So this was, yeah, I I mean, I I almost talked about it like it was a wrap up. Um, This was definitely. Are you finished with it? I am finished with it. Yeah, so am I. So I have to be careful. 
definitely much more of a character story than I was expecting, um, for one, and much more of a fantasy style story, um, as opposed to a science fiction tale, which we were told about, which people definitely mentioned, uh, which became quite apparent to me um, as I continued to read. And yeah, it's a fascinating idea of essentially sending out a single envoy to an alien world, kind of protecting. It's like it's it's as though the um, the the intergalactic civilization that he is is there representing uh, is is obeying something much like the prime directive where they don't make contact until a civilization reaches a certain uh, point of, of technological advance. Um, and so that was that was pretty cool. But uh, I, I do want to kind of talk about one part of the ending, but I think I'll save it for the wrap up where he does feel as the mm, he he, mm, he does. He feels as though he's become part of that society because he's been immersed in it for so long. There's a little bit of a Stockholm syndrome. Scene. Yes. For sure, for so sure. To, so to speak. Uh, yeah, this is the perfect sword and laser book, in my opinion, because it feels fantasy-like, but there is actually no fantasy element of it. There is no magic. There's no wizardry. There's, there's mythology. And there there's is mythology. kind of, well, what do you say about the people who are the seers? Is that not the magic? Seers? Where they, 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 have, they, they do the prophecies? Yeah, those are uh, yeah, but did they ever prophesize anything real? Well, they said they said <laughs> I mean, that I don't want to be a, a, an atheist on that world, but I took it to mean that this is a religion like any world has a religion and it's got prophecies like any world has prophecies and they're vague enough that you could fit them to anything. But there's there's no proof that they're wrong if you want to believe in that religion, but you don't have to. Like that just felt like a realistic representation of religion to me, rather than fantasy, mm-hmm. which would be some religion with with incredible magic to it. And the prophecies are obviously true to everyone. And 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 you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But he does Genley does seem to really be a believer in in their and what they oh, yeah. said. And about I think it that's afterwards. realistic too. Yeah, yeah. Because he's he's subsuming himself in the culture for sure. Right. Um, I did. I found the 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 ambisexual uh, nature of of the peoples to be super interesting and like a really cool representation of what a society like that would be like, where there's essentially no power dynamic because anyone at any given time can go into Kemmer and either be the male or the female. Um, but there's no there's this whole segment when when Genley is writing his report. Um, about the sexuality and kind of being like, they don't even think about this stuff because they are all equal and they have no way of knowing when they go into their sexual reproduction phase, like what they're going to end up as and they have no say in it and no choice. And, you know, either one of them can become pregnant. And so there's no, there's, there's no difference in power dynamic because of that. And I know what you're saying, and and I, I, I speak to the audience when I say this. She doesn't mean there aren't power dynamics, but the power dynamics aren't they're sexually not based, based in sex in in gender roles. Yeah, they're not based on gender roles. Perfectly, that that's exactly it. Um, yeah, thank you. People want power. There are rulers. There are people who want to rule over other beings. But even war is not something these people really know. They understand it kind of conceptually. But like they haven't experienced like a widespread 
war of any kind where more than a handful of people die in any given situation. And it's not that they're not sexually motivated. It's just that they're only sexually motivated for a limited period of time every so often. Yeah. Uh, And that's an incredible thought experiment. Getting back to what Ursula K. Le Guin said about science fiction and fantasy at the beginning in her introduction, this is an incredible thought experiment because it is widely assumed and bandied about that sex motivates most of human history. Mm-hmm. That all of our wars and events and inventions and everything are motivated in some way by the the sexual drive, the drive for reproduction. And so what she says is, let's leave the drive for reproduction, but what if you wall it off so that m- the majority of the time it's not affecting people, then what happens? Right. And she posits that society doesn't stop, it just slows down. And it becomes well, more just, civil, but it but it also doesn't proceed as rapid as, as at rapid of a pace. Yeah, but I mean, like it's it's not even that. It's more like they have their idea of like a maternity leave, but it's just like it's kind of like if when women went through their menstrual cycles and men also went through their menstrual cycles, and they were like, okay, well, you don't have to come to work this week because obviously, like, you're doing your thing. I mean, I'm just saying that because the timing, like, they, yeah, yeah, they yeah. kind of go right. on, like, the, the 26th day or whatever, like, cycle it is for for their, for Kemmer. You, you're just like, all right, well, everybody understands that that's your time and you're going to go do your thing. You're going to go have, like, crazy animal sex for, like, you know, a week, maybe. And then you come back and you're totally fine. And maybe you're pregnant. You're you're probably pregnant. Some of you one will of, be pregnant. One of you is we pregnant. We don't know which ones of you will be. And then you're so going to go on no maternity leave. there's no stigma around it because it could be any of us. Could be any of you. Like, it's totally understandable. And we all just, you know, it, it's just part of the culture. And... Yeah, I found that to be fascinating. And I'm sure there's been 100,000 college essays written about this book for masculinities classes or gender studies, which I would love to go read some of those. Yeah, It's interesting. Um, You're taking the gender studies approach to it. I was taking more of the psychological approach to it. Yeah. Um, So I I, I found that to be be pretty cool. And I also was just cracking up by how they all saw Genley as essentially a pervert, just constantly like... (laughs) <laughs> casually they, and this, this this is so brilliant is like oh you're a pervert like oh weird Which you're isn't a pervert as charged of a word in it's it's charged but it's not as charged because pervert doesn't mean the same thing because in their world it doesn't there we, when we're constantly in Kemmer, a pervert is constantly a threat, right? Mm-hmm. But in their world, it's like, you're a pervert, but it doesn't really bother me most of the time because I'm not me. in Kemmer. doesn't affect me, right? Except for that one time when he's on on the truck and mm. that, that other... Um, right, right. That other person was also was going through Kemmer and was like, hey, and he's like, mm-mm, no, no, not interested, not, not really. Exactly. I'm yeah. not actually in Kemmer right now. Also, I'm cold and dying. Um, but it was, (laughs) it was, I'm like, why didn't they pay more attention to that? Like, this is the only human on their entire planet who is just constantly in Kemmer, like that, that didn't like raise any red flags. I mean, some people, most, most people knew he was an alien on, on Gethin or most people in, at least in, um, well, I don't think it was outwardly obvious that he was in Kemmer. I guess if he wasn't naked all the time. Yeah. And also because That's we right. as humans are always in Kemmer, we're, we're not giving... We, they're humans too, so they, that's not right. Um, yeah, I'm using we, we human in the sense of how they call humans on their planet humans. Yeah, yeah. 
it's it it we I, I'm just, what I'm trying to get to is we wouldn't send out the same signals because they they go from one extreme to the other. Whereas kind of a low level hum, I, w- I would think. I love the um, idea that you just like have to find someone who's like in sync with you at that time to yeah. be like. Or you can go to a Kemmer house and just like find someone. And there's no shame. People go meet there. Yeah. It's just like totally, you know, it's what you do. It's what you do. It just changes so many things. And and like you said, so many assumptions about people and, and, and so many conflicts are just gone. But at the same time, I think Le Guin didn't avoid the issue of when there isn't war, certain things don't advance as fast. So they have these great scientific discoveries in some cases that he's puzzled, like, but you know this, why didn't you invent that? And it's sort of like, we didn't need to. There was no motivation to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I think that the world building was really cool. All the different, like the, oh, it was hard for me to keep track of all the different factions and yeah. all the different people, especially because I was listening to the audiobook. Um, and they kind of just like also throw in mind speak into the mix where like, I guess in the future, Terrans can, can communicate telepathically. Yeah. Some, that, that was a very seventies theme amongst everyone. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't just Ursula K. Le Guin like, Oh, we're going to discover extrasensory perception here any day now. So yeah, you figure in the future, that'll be a common thing. I actually like the explanation of how it worked though. Like she was very good, even with that about, trying to give it at least the appearance of a scientific basis. All the whole Kemmer thing, the whole evolution of them as into a different kind of gender and sexuality. Well, she indicated there was, you know, and there was a biological reason for that. She wasn't just magic again. And even the ESP thing was something that she tried to explain as this was a potential to the human mind that some people have a knack for and learned how to take advantage. And anybody can learn it, but it's hard to learn. It's mm-hmm. like, learning a language later in I life. I kind of picture it like making your eyeballs see magic eye puzzles. Yeah. Like that's kind of how I those. thought about it. You can't see those? No, I probably wouldn't be able to do ESP. Would I? Damn. Darn. Man. Well, sorry, Tom. You're out of the gene pool. <laughs> Not for the first time. <laughs> Everyone We're out probably- of the gene pool. <laughs> Tom peed it's, in it. It's with adult- not being able to have ESP. I did not pee in the gene pool. It's okay. Most people have peed in the gene pool. It's fine. <laughs> it's it's like basically a fact. It's not. Na- it's natural. It's just natural. Yeah. It's what your body wants. Just go with it. <laughs> the body wants what it wants. <laughs> so I I I did I did really enjoy this book. I see why it's a classic. I I see why it pushed a lot of like very interesting ideas forward. I understand why it was seen as being such a, a feminist landmark in science fiction. Um and. I, I did as a character novel. I, I really Estrovin, I think, was a, a fascinating character that I really enjoyed. Uh, Genley was was pretty cool too. I, I'd like to know more about his backstory. Um, and that was yeah. That I mean, this is not a wrap up. I'm talking like it's a wrap up. We'll talk more about it later. We'll do a briefer wrap we, up next time. We probably time. should have just wrapped it up because we both finished the book and we. But we will wrap it up again once you guys have all finished keep reading. It yeah, I do yeah. want to talk about the ending next time. Um, and my feelings on that. Yeah, we'll save that for next time. Okay. Give us, give us yeah. one more thing to talk about. We'll do a good um, kickoff for whatever book I pick for next month and fill the void. Yeah. I, I also um, would like to point out when you say it, you know, it, and it is rightly considered a, a feminist uh, landmark story, it's more than that. 
And this is one of the things I absolutely adore about Ursula K. Le Guin's writing in this book is she didn't make a feminist book. She made a humanist book that advanced, that said, hey, these are important issues of feminism I'm going to put in here. But what if there was no feminine or masculine? What if there wasn't this difference between gender? And I think that's what's so fascinating and powerful about this book is it it goes beyond just that and says, let's let's just get rid of that category altogether. Uh, and so, and so there's, there's, there's no action and reaction in that landscape. And that's, that's what makes this story so compelling to me is that when you think about it as feminist, that doesn't really fit either because they're not feminists on this planet because they're not feminine or masculine. But it doesn't have, the story doesn't have to be about feminism for it to be a feminist book. No, no. And of course, that's why I said it's rightly considered a feminist book because all of those issues are in there, but it didn't just stop there, I guess is what I'm saying. It, it it went into areas that transgender people can see, non-binary people can see, and say, "Oh, I'm not being left out here well, either." Tom, There's... I'm inter- I'm an intersectional feminist, so that covers <laughs> all of those. Okay, I'm just I, I'm not trying to be dogmatic. I'm I'm trying to say I like the fact that that it wasn't limiting itself. Okay, still is that femi- bad somehow? St- still a feminist novel. I didn't say it wasn't. I know, but I feel like you're trying to take away from that. In no, some way, I'm not. Also, and I'm, 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 what I'm saying is that Ursula K. Le Guin expanded on it, okay, and didn't limit it to just one section. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I just think it's okay to call something feminist. Oh yeah, and I was not, and that at can all encompass a lot to, of things, and also okay. I'm just saying, I was not at all disagreeing with that. Okay, so that's the end of the show. <laughs> It's it's complicated. It's complicated. It's like we you want to have these things because they move people forward and they make you ask questions about gender and about power and about privilege and about all the things that we talk about day to day. And this being a book that came out when it did, like had a big part of that, especially coming from a female author as well. So it's like, it's important to be able to have these tent poles of literature or genre fiction that means something for, for female authors and female readers and move, move people forward in a certain way. And yeah, it's about more than just feminism, because obviously these are ambisexual beings that, like you said, they're not male or female unless they're going through their sexual acts. But at the same time, it's it's questioning the the masculine aspect of genre fiction and questioning the the mascul the, the the patriarchy of the interplanetary patriarchy in a sense because this is the only planet that's like that that they have found in in the system uh, in the galaxy and so it's meaningful in the book but it's also meaningful in the real world as well because it makes you ask these kind of questions about what it means to be a society where there is no gender that is in control. Absolutely. Okay. There, I got my brain thoughts in order at the (laughs) end there. All right. Well, I think that, yeah, I guess we will wrap it up a little bit more in the next episode and and we'll kick off the next book and I need to figure out what that's going to be. Well, uh, we'll we'll get that out to you on Mm patreon.com and Mm -hmm. of course on Goodreads as well. I won't spoil it this time for the Patreon people. (laughs) And the uh, the next wrap up we'll we'll talk quite a bit about that ending because there's a lot that we want to cover about the the way things end that I think is extremely interesting. 
Totally. Well, thank you guys for listening. As you know, our show is currently entirely funded by our patrons. So thank you to all the folks who back our show. And if you want to jump in and help support us, head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Welcome to Michelle Merrick, Fred Myers, Jan Michael Johansson, and all our patrons. Uh, We appreciate you supporting the show. You can also support the show by buying books through our links. You can find links to the books we talked about and some of our favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. I think you meant Jan Michael, son of Johan. Oh, possibly. I don't know. (laughs) You tell us, Jan. (laughs) She's like, I'm not son of Johan. (laughs) Veronica, stop. You can uh, also leave us a review on iTunes. We love seeing those. If you want to get in touch with us, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 4157sword6. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.